Hello, everybody. I'm feeling more and more at home. <laughs> Honored to be here. Never have I gotten over the privilege of being here. And thank you very much, Jonathan. T.R., uh, Louise, and I uh, love being here I'm with my grandson, Toby, and uh, Dr. Yusuf. I think I've been told it's an exception that he lets us bring our books. Uh, my latest book is called We've Never Been This Way Before. This is my answer to the pandemic and the violence. Uh, it's been endorsed, <laughs> of all people, by Cardinal Timothy Dolan, Archbishop of New York. Uh, it's in, been endorsed by Alveda King, Martin Luther King's niece. Uh, it's been Matt Redman. You sing his hymns all the time. And I don't know whether I should say this, Ricky Skaggs, but you all are so sophisticated, <laughs> you, you wouldn't even know about bluegrass. But just remember, Ricky and I come from Kentucky, born 30 miles apart, but uh, Ricky's endorsed this. Uh, anyway, as you may know, I'm on Michael's European board, and I know of no ministry like it. I know of no one like him. Uh, so fond of him and Elizabeth, they're like family. Louise considers Michael her pastor, and uh, she's his greatest fan. And so it's just great to be here one more time. I want to read to you now from the book of Joshua, chapter 3. Joshua, chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. And here is the way it is put. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go for you have not passed this way before. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this His most holy and infallible Word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the earlier brother that mentioned the covering of the blood of Jesus. And I now pray that there will be afresh the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus on everyone who listens to me in order that their perception of what I say will be heard, received as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. Let this be a life-changing word, and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. It was only about three months ago that my publisher phoned and said, we just wondered, R.T., do you have anything on your heart with regard to the present coronavirus crisis? Well, I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. They said, well, what is it? And when I told them, they said, how soon can you 
turned that into a book, and uh, I can tell you it was the easiest book I ever wrote. It, it just flowed, and uh, it's just been out. It just came out last week. It's called We've Never Been This Way Before. You see, Joshua gave this word to the children of Israel as they were getting ready to enter the Canaan land, the promised land. And the message, just keep your eyes on the ark. Keep your eyes on the ark because you've never been this way before. And that word has been gripping me for months. That's where we are today. We've never been this way before. What we are going through is unprecedented. There's nobody to teach us. There's nobody to prepare us. But I've written a book to say what we can do. And I'll just give you 5% of that today, hoping that it will make a difference in your life. Because we are in the greatest crisis of our lifetime. And after I wrote the book, or that is, after I started writing it, I realized we've got a double whammy. First, the coronavirus crisis. Second, the continual threat of violence in many cities. On May 25th of this year, a date that could live in infamy, an African-American named George Floyd was brutally murdered by a Minneapolis policeman. Violence erupted all over America. Store windows were slashed. Businesses that took years to build up were lost overnight. Historic statues were torn down. Many people demanded the defunding of the police. We've never seen anything like it. Nothing in my lifetime, nothing that I've ever heard of. Well, the question is, where is God in all of this? Well, a person in England, New Testament scholar, well-known, he's a friend of mine, actually, was interviewed by Time magazine, and I was shocked at his answer. Here's what he said. Christianity doesn't have an answer, and it's not supposed to. My word, where are we? And then people with a theology one inch deep said, the devil did it because God would never cause anything like that. People like this do not know their Bibles. They don't realize that God said, I bring calamity. You've been reading the book of Habakkuk lately. God did things that Habakkuk just couldn't understand. How could God do this? When the famine came in the land of Israel in David's day, he wanted to know why. Listen, whenever there is a crisis, God expects us to ask why? And so I've been waiting for here, to hear somebody give an answer. And to my amazement, some months ago, Martha McCallum was interviewing Cardinal Dolan on Fox News, and she said, where is God in all of this? I was thrilled to hear his answer. He said, God is right in the middle of it. And this is the wonderful thing. Now, God has not been caught by surprise and it's wonderful to know that Christianity does have an answer, and I want to deal with that today. Now, the children of Israel had never been this way before, and the question is, are we under judgment? 
is the double whammy, the virus, the violence, the judgment of God. Yes. And it's a judgment on America. Yes. So how are we to cope? Well, let me point out a distinction. Don't ever forget it. God chose Israel. America chose God. And we did it 200 years ago by our Declaration of Independence, the way God was written into the Constitution. And when I consider how good God has been to America, I cannot sing the hymn, America the Beautiful, without coming to tears. America, America, God shed His grace on thee. But something has happened. We have forgotten God. And how are we to cope? And does the Bible have an answer? And how do we understand this? Well, there are two ways. Let me put it this way. There are some things God does not want us to understand completely. Uh, Take the issue. Is something predestined or permitted? Figure it out. Well, Moses saw the burning bush, and something Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones taught me. Moses wanted to know why and how a burning bush would be on fire and not burn up. And so Moses said, I'm going to go figure this out, and he heads right to the burning bush, and God said, stop, stop. Don't come any closer. Take off your shoes. You are on holy ground. And there are some things that we would like to know God doesn't want us to know. And so the profound issue, is it predestined or permitted? Just stop. Just worship. There are some things God doesn't want us to figure out. And yet, at the same time, there are some things that are obvious. And that is what God brings in judgment. You don't need to ask, is it predestined? Just ask, is God behind this? Now, whom the Lord loves, He chastens. And that could be true with a nation. Whom the Lord loves, He chastens. There are three kinds of chastening. One, internal. That's when God speaks through His Word. Plan A. You listen to the Holy Spirit. Plan A, the Word, internal chastening. He operates on the heart. Plan B, external chastening. When plan B doesn't work, we don't listen to God. God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no. And God said, really? And plan B set in. God sent the wind. God sent the fish. And so in Corinth, they all wanted to know, why is this happening? People are sick. People are sickly. External chastening. But then there's plan C, terminal chastening. John calls it the sin unto death. There were those, said Paul, in Corinth, 
you are dead because you didn't do what you should have regarding the Lord's Supper. The point is, three kinds of chastening. But let's deal with the subject of judgment. There are five kinds of judgment. One, retributive judgment. That's when God gets even. Uh, the principle, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. When God punishes sin. As a matter of fact, you need to know that eternal punishment is retributive judgment. People don't go to hell to make them better. God sends them to hell for their sins. That's retributive judgment. There's a second kind, gracious judgment, which is partly retributive, partly gracious. Example, King David. He committed adultery with Bathsheba and then tried to cover it up by murder. And God was angry. And he was punished. And yet, Nathan the prophet said, you're not going to die. And in Psalm 51, David is on his knees. Have mercy on me, O God. And we see from the life of David, God wasn't finished with David yet. Gracious judgment. By the way, could it be, could it be? There's somebody here right now, you need this. God has dealt with you. And what you have done, he could have brought retribution. He could have made it retributive judgment. But he's trying to get your attention. And I would urge you, go to your knees. Pray Psalm 51. Say, God, never again will I do that. And God had mercy on David. May he have mercy on you. So there's retributive judgment. There's gracious judgment. There's what could be called redemptive judgment. In Moses' day, Israel grieved God. God sent poisonous snakes. They were biting everybody, and they were falling dead. God said to Moses, build a serpent of brass, and all that look to the serpent will live. And they did. And that became a symbol of the gospel. John 3, 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. As Charles Spurgeon used to put it, there's life in a look. And so if there's anyone here at the moment, if you were to die as you are now, at the moment, you would be eternally lost. But there's life in a look. Where do you look? You look to the cross. We've sung it about it already here in this service. When God has sent his son to die on a cross, and the way to know that you will go to heaven and not to hell, not by turning over a new leaf, not by your good works, but realizing you're a lost sinner and you have no hope except the blood of Jesus. And I would ask you, even as I speak, you could just pray this prayer. You, you can even keep your eyes open. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I know I've sinned against you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit. As best as I know how, I give you my life. And you can leave here changed because of redemptive judgment. But then there's a fourth kind. Natural judgment. 
little needs to be said. You reap what you sow. But then there is what is the worst kind of all, silent judgment. When God says nothing and does nothing, so it would seem, are you aware that there was no warning given to Solomon and Gomorrah? No warning. God was silent. And one day, fire and brimstone destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The worst thing that can happen is when God didn't say anything. But the good news is, gracious judgment is what we are experiencing at this time. It is my view that there are at least four things for which America is being judged. First, racism. I speak as a Southerner. I speak as one who needs this as much as anybody here might need it. But when you consider the way many white Americans, including Christians, have treated African Americans with neglect and say, oh, they've got their problem. Listen, that isn't the way Jesus would be. Do you know what it's like to wake up and never go outside your door without being aware of the color of your skin? Most of you have no idea what that's like. One famous black comedian went to Ghana, and they asked him what was it like to be in Ghana, and he said, for the first time I felt like white people. He said, I wasn't aware of the color of my skin. I've got many black friends in England and in America. One of the Christian leaders in England, a black man, told me, even in England, which is not as racially prejudiced as we are, he said to me, he never goes outside his house without being aware of the color of his skin. And I would urge white Americans to see it like Jesus would see. And there have been those black Christians who have been mistreated. Listen, I find it incredible that black people ever became Christians. Do you realize how the slave owners treated those working in the cotton fields of Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia? And how they were so in pain. I wonder, why would they ever be a Christian? I'll tell you what got them. They would be sitting in the balconies. That's where they had to sit. But they picked up one message. One day we're going to heaven. One day we're going to heaven. And these black people said, I like that. There will be something to live for. But you see, we're living in a day when heaven is even thought about anymore. And I would urge you, if you know black people, to love them, embrace them. Listen, the book of James speaks of this. James chapter 5. The issue 2,000 years ago was not black or white. It was rich, poor. And there were poor Christians mistreated by wealthy Christians. And they weren't even given their wages. And they were crying out to God, as many black Christians do today, and say, Lord, do you not 
see us. Do not care. And James could say in chapter, James chapter 5, verse 4, the Lord of hosts has heard your prayers. And in the case of our day, he has sent judgment. He has sent judgment. Second, legalized abortions for any reason. The Bible is clear that life begins at conception. The very fact that the Virgin Mary visited her cousin Elizabeth with a son of God in her womb just one day after the conception. And the baby John leapt in his mother's womb. Shows that baby John was a human being, and yet the baby Jesus, one day old, was a human being. Said David in Psalm 139, My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. Do you realize what we're saying? We become so impervious to it, we don't even think about it. Since the 1973 Supreme Court decision, which allows abortion for any reason without penalty, opened the way for countless abortions in the United States, it is reckoned that 61 million babies have been murdered since that time. The, virtually the equivalent of the population of Britain 65 million. 61 million. Add the population of California and New York, 61 million. And yet we think nothing about it. God is angry and has judged America. Third, we've shown contempt for the Creator God. God made humankind, male and female. And now same-sex marriage is an assumption. There's no more outrage. Do you realize that 10 years ago, just 10 years ago, this was regarded as shameful? Even President Obama was against it. And then in his second term, he was for it, and all America just followed, and now there's no stigma, no shame, but God is angry. It's showing disrespect for him as creator. It was his idea that marriage between a man and a woman would be the way the earth would be populated. So... The whole world has recognized this, but now we're taking it for granted. And God says, I'm stepping in. Fourth, theological liberalism in so many churches. The truth of the virgin birth, the eternality of the Son of God are truths that are essential to the Christian faith now almost universally rejected in churches. The notion of needing to see people saved. We just don't think about it much anymore. Are you a soul winner? Are you trying to lead people to Jesus? You see, what is needed 
is an awakening, a great awakening, and we're all asleep. Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 1, at that time, or some versions, then. What does it mean, then, or at that time? Well, read Matthew 24. He's describing the last days. And so Jesus gives us an example of the way it's going to be in the last days. He says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. You want to know the best description of the church today? We're asleep. We're asleep. You don't know you were asleep until you wake up. You think, oh, I can't believe it. And so, the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross, that His blood satisfies God's righteousness, not preached. And by the way, I just want to say this. If every pulpit in America were like the Church of the Apostles pulpit, we would know revival has already come. But this is what is needed. We need to be unashamed of this gospel. Well, now, what are we to do? How are Christians to cope with this kind of judgment? First of all, go back to Joshua. Keep your eyes on the ark. You've never been this way before. So they, they, wherever the ark went, they would go. They would be safe following the ark. How is that fulfilled in the New Testament? Answer, Hebrews 12, verse 2. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And all we need to do is just keep our eyes on Jesus. We've never been this way before, but He knows where we've been. He knows where we're going. And as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus, we don't need to be afraid. You see, fear has overcome nearly everybody. I was recently in New York City would you believe on every trash can with the words, don't be afraid? Everybody's afraid. You don't need to be afraid. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Maybe you know it. Sing it with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, power. I can tell you another thing. It's a time just to look for things to be thankful for. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. We're here today. We're alive. I'm amazed, by the way, how many are here. I, honestly, I didn't think there'd be many. So this is a great testimony. Here's the thing. God is with us. But be thankful. God loves gratitude. God hates ingratitude. And the curse of our generation, in part, can be described as Need of entitlement. We all think we're entitled, and people are angry. 
Do you know what the Mayo Clinic came out with just three or four years ago? They weren't quoting Jesus. They weren't quoting the Bible. You know what they said? Thankful people live longer. Think of the things you're thankful for. God loves gratitude. But then we need to learn something not of the fear of man. You experience it. But the fear of God. I'm sorry, but there's no fear of God in the nation. There seems, generally speaking, to be no fear of God in the church. I think on previous occasions I've referred to the fact that I've made four trips to Enfield, Connecticut. I go out of my way just to go there. I go to a certain vacant lot. The city fathers know about it. They're kind of embarrassed. But there's a plaque in the ground on a vacant lot that says, On this site, July 8th, 1741, Jonathan Edwards preached his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It's a sermon that changed New England. It was the high watermark of the Great Awakening. Jonathan Edwards' sermon said, It is by the mercy of God you're not in hell right now. People don't even think about that. But for some reason, God owned that sermon. As he preached, the Spirit of God came on the congregation. People began to hold on to church pews to keep from falling into hell. People outside were holding on to tree trunks to keep from falling into hell. God only did it once. He preached the same sermon a month ago, nothing happened. But the effect of that sermon went all over New England in days. It crossed the Atlantic in weeks. And guess what? It can be showed by history with those with objective evidence. That led right to the Declaration of Independence. And the reason it shows America chose God. Well, once the children of Israel crossed the Jordan, Joshua saw this awesome figure, commander of the Lord's army, he said he was, with a drawn sword. And Joshua said, are you for us or for our enemy? <laughs> Joshua didn't get the answer he wanted. The commander said, neither. What's this? I, said, Good. I thought you were for us. And Joshua needed to learn something. This needs to be restored to the church. About 50 years ago, my mentor at that time, his name was N. Burnett Magruder. And uh, he's the one that introduced me to Jonathan Edwards. He's a student at Yale. And uh, I said, Dr. Magruder, I would say, do you agree, that the greatest devotion to God would be to be a martyr, to die for Jesus. He smiled, took out his pen, and wrote something down to me that I've carried for years. It's a profound statement. You may need a day or two to let it sink in, but here's what he said. My willingness to forsake any claim upon God is the only evidence that I have seen the divine glory. And this is what Joshua was having to learn. He thought that he was entitled. And the commander said, I'm for neither. 
And then there was something else that Joshua needed to pick up right then because they're hoping to conquer Jericho. How are they going to conquer Jericho? Tighter than a drum. How are they going to get in? Well, Joshua gave them this order. March around the city seven times, once a day for seven days. You know, they must have felt silly. Can you imagine if you're marching around the city and maybe people in Jericho looking out, what are those silly Israelis doing? They're just marching around the city. And they must have felt a little bit funny, stupid. And then on the seventh day, Joshua said, do it this time seven times. Well, what kind of command is this? This is ridiculous. Well, we'll do it. And so it is today. Our gospel is not popular when you uphold the truth that Jesus is the only way, that we're only saved by the blood of Jesus, and you believe people need to be saved, and people will laugh at you, and they think you're off your head, but you just keep marching. And then on the seventh day, when Joshua said, Shout, for the armies of the Lord have come, there is the secret. Who were the armies of the Lord? The angels. As Elisha put it, there are more with us than those that be with them. And the walls fell. It wasn't anybody's faith. God did it. And I happen to believe this is something I would hold to, and I hope to be alive to see it. And I kind of think I will. We're going to see the greatest awakening we've ever even dreamed of. It will be what God does. It won't be anything that we do. All we can do is just uphold the gospel. You may feel like a fool, but the commander of the armies of the Lord is saying, God will get all the glory. Nobody can gloat and say, look what I did. All they can do is worship. Remember the God of the Bible. He's never too late. He's never too early. He's always just on time. Judgment, yep, gracious judgment. And it's going to come, and it's going to come suddenly. And those that are on the side of truth will be able to rejoice in the honor and glory of God. May we pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to apply this message by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.